Hey everybody, it's Mark. Welcome or welcome back to the New Spring Church podcast. Hey, at the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel and download our free New Spring app where you can access all of our recent message content. Actually, the app is the easiest way to share all this content with a friend, and it's the easiest way to keep up with everything going on around here at New Spring. But most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. Well, as you just saw in the bumper, our series is Supernatural Spirit-Filled Family Living. And we're focusing on family relationships, husband, wife, uh, parent, kid. But at the end of the day, it, this is for all of us. I mean, you could be here and you could be single. And these principles that we're talking about in this series, you can leverage uh, with just every relationship in your life. If you're, if you're dating, this series is probably more important to you than anyone else. But it also works with, with work relationships when you go to work tomorrow. There's just this principle that we're working with. And here are a couple of preliminary thoughts that for you and me to chew on as we get started. And here it is. You're not able to live life by yourself. But fortunately, there is a power outside of ourselves that will come along with us and help us live our lives. And that power is God. This series is about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God with us. The Bible teaches us, as hard as it is to grasp, that God is Trinity. He is Father, He is Son, He is Holy Spirit. There are three, three persons, but one God. <clears throat> now, the reason why the Holy Spirit is so important to us, Jesus taught us that because He took on flesh, He was limited to one place and one time. But when He left, He said to His disciples, it's better for you that I go away. I'm sure they had a hard time processing that one. But he said, if I don't go, then the Holy Spirit will not be able to come. And so the great thing about the Holy Spirit is when we scatter today, and we do scatter here at New Spring, don't we, at the end of the service, the Holy Spirit will go with me. He'll go with you. He'll be not only, if you're a Christ follower, he'll not only be with you, he'll be actually inside of you. So there is a power outside of us that is available to help us in our marriages, in our dating relationship, with our kids, with our parents, with our friends, with the people that we work with, with our next door neighbors. So we're not in this by ourselves. And it's so good to know that the God who wrote the code for DNA is the God who will go with you today and help you at home. The second thought that I want you to see kind of tags onto that, and that is that God wants to move into our situation. You know, what I've thought about so much in my life, I am a sort of Mr. Fix-It kind of personality. Um, I'm very intense. Uh, there are no pastels in my personality. It is my nature to rush ahead of God and try to fix things myself. What I need to do is take a deep breath you know, there's a verse in the Bible that says, be still and know that I'm God. I, this isn't in the Bible, but it almost could have been at least a comment on that. The second part of that could, have be, could be, be still and know that you're not God. Mark needs to hear that sometimes. Mark, be still, know that you're not God. Be still, know that he is God. So the great thing is God wants to move into your situation. I'm, t I'm talking to some of you and you have a troubled marriage. That'd be about 100% of us. If you have a marriage, you still have trouble. Well, it's a good thing to know that God wants to move into your marriage relationship. He wants to move into, and for all of you who parent teenagers, isn't it good to know that God wants to move into your situation? Really good. Mark, Mark Twain said when a boy turns 13, put him in a box, cut a hole big enough for him to breathe. He said when he turns 17, plug up the hole. But Mark Twain was not a Christian. He didn't know what, we, what we're learning in this series. God wants to move into your situation. Now, the verse that we've looked at every week, and we will continue to look at every week, and one more time, it's not that I don't think you get it, it's just we're gonna to need to look at this. This verse is like a mountain that you wanna look at from all the angles. The Bible says, the one who sows to please his sinful nature. We know what that is by now. We know that we inherited from Adam a nature that's bent toward doing wrong. 
And even if we accept Christ and we have that new nature, the person of the Holy Spirit, we're still going to have that old nature. There's a part of you, if you're, I don't care if you've been saved for 80 years. I mean, I do care, but I mean, I'm just saying it's, it's immaterial to this one thing. You may have been saved for 80 years, but you still have that dark side in you that's capable of doing any kind of junk that any unsaved person is capable of doing. And that's why we see Christ followers sometimes do horrible things because they sort of tap in to this old, depraved, broken nature that we inherit from Adam. And so this verse is telling us that basically we have choices every day. I, I keep using the word seed because the Bible does. But whenever you see the word seed, think of the word choices. So our choices are either being thrown to our dark side, we're throwing seed into our dark side. Let's read the rest of the verse. The one who sows to please his sinful nature from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows plants choices to please the Holy Spirit from the Spirit will reap life. So that's what this whole series is built on. And I know by now, if you're a new springer, you've heard this verse over and over and over again. And from what I hear from you, you guys are putting this into practice. This series has been unusual. I thought it might last four or five weeks. I don't even know how many weeks it's going to last now. We're way past that. I started on Mother's Day. This is Father's Day. I'm not even sure we're halfway through yet. But before I get into today's talk, I just want to remind us that today's life is a harvest of yesterday's seeds. I mean, you wouldn't even have to be a Christ follower to understand this basic principle. Today's life is a harvest of yesterday's choices. Hey, we can connect the dots. We understand how that works. Now, one more time, I want to point out, it isn't just your seeds that you've dropped. You're not an island. And so if you're married, your life today is a harvest of the seeds you've dropped and your husband or wife have dropped and your kids have dropped and the people in your sphere. So I'm, I'm not just saying that our harvest today is solely our responsibility, but I do think we're grown-ups here at New Spring and we can say <laughs> that um, a lot of the choices I've made, the seeds that I've planted, that's my harvest today. I'm not the biggest country and Western fan, but I always love George Jones. He's got a unique voice. And one of my, I guess my favorite George Jones song is a song called Choices. And he talks about some of the bad choices that he made when he was hooked on alcohol. And he said in the chorus of that song, living and dying with the choices I've made. So today's seed, today's harvest is from yesterday's seed, excuse me. And then here's the, the thing that I think is really important for us to grasp. That is my life tomorrow Tomorrow's harvest is going to be a result of today's seeds. Therein lies a big challenge for all of us. See, many of us have a less, I started to say bad, let's just be euphemistic. Many of us have a less than good harvest today because we planted some bad seeds back in the past. And remember, specifically, when I talk about choices, I'm saying a seed is every thought we think, every word we say, every attitude we hold, and everything that we do. So if we think about our words, attitudes, actions, and thoughts, when we go back to yesterday and look at those seeds that we've dropped, we could be in a painful harvest right now. I'm sure pretty much all of us are at least in a mixed harvest. The problem is if I'm having a bad harvest today, how do I stop dropping bad seed and start dropping good seed? See, the greatest challenge, I wish I knew how to preach, the greatest challenge is sowing good seed when you're in the middle of a bad harvest because you're not feeling the benefit yet. You're still feeling the pain of yesterday's seed. Where do I find the faith and the courage to start dropping good seed when I'm in a bad harvest? Let me give you a verse that I love from the songbook of the Bible. Psalm 126, verse five. 
those who plant in tears. See, if you're in a bad harvest today and you start dropping good seed, you know you're doing the right thing. But how many, how many of us know what it's like to plant in tears? But look at the promise. Those who plant in tears will harvest with shouts of joy. I mean, you may be going out today crying in your marriage and you're dropping a good seed, but it's still painful because of the things that your husband does and the relationship that you have. It's still toxic, but you, you, you're planting seed today in tears. The word of God wants you to know that someday you're going to come back and you're going to come back shouting with shouts of joy for what God has done in your life. One more time, God wants you to get it, so he restates it. He put it this, puts it this way. They that weep as they go to plant their seed, but they sing as they return with the harvest. By faith, you can claim that because it's in the word of God, and it's a promise to you today. Well, somebody would say, Mark, you know, I'm kind of, <laughs> I'm sort of at the shelf life for this planting good seed, and things are not changing in my life. My husband is still the jerk that, oh, you wouldn't say that. <laughs> My husband is still the difficult person. Is that better? Means the same thing. <laughs> My husband's still the same person, and I'm trying, and I'm trying, and I'm trying. Listen to this. Let's, this is Galatians 6, 9. This is the verse right after the verse I've been giving you every week. Let's not get tired of doing what is good at just the right time does not say we may reap a harvest. It says we will reap a harvest. If what? If we don't give up. I would hate to give up just as the harvest was about to come in. So here's what I've taught myself to do. When I get to a place where I don't know for sure if I can keep dropping good seed, and I don't mean just about relationships, but any time in my life, I think, you know what? By the grace of God, I can hold out one more day. And then I get up the next day and I think I can hold out one more day. And that's how you do this. You don't try to, you don't try to judge the harvest when you're still waiting for the seed to come up. Okay, that's not part of the sermon. Does that count against my time? Okay, mini review from last week. Because I want to take us to where we were last week. We're going to catch the bus now. Last week, we learned a very important theme. The Bible says in verse 22 of Ephesians 4, Put off your old self, I said old nature, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. Now, I want you to know this verse works like a sandwich. I just gave you one piece of bread. The first piece of bread is put off that old person. Now, I want to jump to verse 24, and we're going to look at the other piece of bread. Put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So we understand the principle now. We've got an old nature. If you accept Christ, Holy Spirit moves in. You've got an old nature. You've got a new nature. You've got two operating systems. And we all know what that head button battle feels like on the inside. But the meat of that promise, if we go back to that text, what the Bible tells us is in verse 23, we must be made new in the attitude of our minds. Mark, what does that mean? Okay, it means this. If I'm going to put off my old nature like a dirty suit of clothes that I don't want to wear, I mean, here's the thing. If you've been out doing sweaty yard work and you don't smell good and you've you got to go to a wedding later in the day, you're not going to wear those old sweaty clothes. And your wife, have you ever, guys, does your wife say, you're not going to wear that, are you? You ever hear that? Okay. <laughs> if you're going to put that off and then you're going to put on your tux, something's got to happen in between to you. And that's what this verse is saying. 
Before we can put off the old person that we inherited from Adam and put on the new person that God wants us to be in Christ, we have to be made new in the attitude of our minds. Let me tell you what that means. It means this. It means that you accept your new identity, who God says you are. That's what you have to do. Because if we don't accept our new identity, we'll just keep doing what that old nature tells us to do because that's who we will think we are. One of the most important things I'll ever teach you is this. We identify ourselves by our old nature because we have sight to go on, what the Bible calls sight, observation. Guys, you know, I'm not a super Christian. I'm a flawed, broken person like you are. It just happens to be my job. But I'm just going to, in a painful way, I'm going to let you get into my psyche for a little bit. If someone would ask me honestly in privacy, Mark, tell me about yourself. You know what the next thing would probably happen would be? I'd put my head down. Because when I look at my life, I would start telling you I do this wrong, I do that wrong, and this is a weakness in my life, and and I, I, I would I want to conquer this, but I just can't seem to conquer it. You know, I deal with anxiety, and you know, that's what I'd start telling you. That's who I am. Why would I do that? Because I've just observed my nature that I inherited from Adam all these years, and even though God is at work in my life, I just look at that person, and that's if I'm not careful, that's how I will define myself. And we will say things like, "Well, I'm you know I'm lazy and." I'm fearful and I can be a difficult person and, and I'm troubled about this. You know what it is? We're identifying ourselves by the person that we were before Jesus came in. You see, if, if, if I'm going to accept everything that God says I am, you know the song we sing here at New Spring, I am who you say I am? I'm not going to be able to do that by observation for a while. See, I know my old self by observation. That new self that I need to put on, the only way I'm going to know that person is by faith. Faith is taking God at his word. Faith is believing God for who he says I am, not believing what I've seen in my past. I mean, the word of God says this in 2 Corinthians 5, 7, we live by faith and not by sight. See, this could be a breakthrough day for many of you who are Christ followers because you just feel so overwhelmed by what you used to be. We've got to accept what God says about us and our identity in Christ. The Bible says, if you're God's child, you can say this too. I am redeemed. I am bought back from the slave market that I was in when I was before I knew Christ. I'm redeemed. I'm God's child. I'm innocent in his sight. Because his blood has washed me clean. I'm heir to all the promises of God. God's word says, and I have a hard time accepting this, that I am more th than a conqueror through him who loves me. So if I'm going to be that person, I have got to quit looking at my old nature. And by faith, I've got to accept what God says about me, even though I haven't seen it yet. And it's hard to believe. Hey, you guys know for years I've told you I hate religion because religion is just man-made systems. This is what I'm talking about. Being this new person, that's something that you accept by faith. And so the Bible tells Mark this. Mark, throw off that old Clark cloak that you got. You still have it, but you don't have to wear it. 
and accept who you are in Christ and begin to live it out. Put on the new person that's being designed to live like Christ. It's still not the sermon yet, okay? Does the clock start running now? Okay, I'm really gonna have to book it. So today's talk is really the first of three. It's called the Jesus Seeds. Why do we call it the Jesus Seeds? Well, we're gonna look at some seeds that you can have in your bag that, well, the reason I call them the Jesus Seeds is um, Jesus talked about these things all the time. He absolutely modeled them perfectly. And here's the beautiful thing. Do you wanna be like Jesus wouldn't it be great for people to say, you know, she's like Jesus. If you want to be like Jesus, here's the deal. You'll never be more like Jesus than when you plant these seeds. So here we go. Let's read. Ephesians 4. We're going to keep rolling in Ephesians 4. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Here they are, the two that we'll talk about today. Be kind and compassionate to one another. And then next time, we'll talk about this last part. Now, there's bad news before there's good news, or at least there's difficult news before there's blessing. You and I can never plant the Jesus seeds of kindness and compassion until, as the scripture teaches us, we get rid of some things. And here's the first one. The Bible says, before I can plant kindness and compassion, I gotta get rid of bitterness. What is bitterness? That's the best definition I can come up with. It's a deadly mixture of anger and hurt stored up in the heart. Bitterness like acid eats holes in our soul and it disfigures our spirits. Well, here's, let's, let's chew on this for a moment. What is that causes bitterness to last longer than your typical garden variety anger or hurt? I mean, we, we get mad and we get hurt, but it tends to pass. So what is it about bitterness that causes it to stay? Well, here's another thought that I have for you. Typically, bitterness is a reaction to long-standing injustice. There's an injustice in your life that just won't go away. And bitterness can be a reaction to that. Well, based on those two premises, where is bitterness most likely to grow in your life? Where do you have the longest standing relationships? At home. I don't hear this much anymore because we're so familiar with social media now, but I remember in the early days of social media, people would tell me, Pastor, Hey, I connected with a guy I went to high school with, haven't seen him in 40 years, and you know what? We picked up just like we'd never been apart. You know what I mean? It was just incredible. No, that's not incredible. You haven't had 40 years to get on each other's nerves. <laughs> Show me a relationship that you spent every day with somebody for 40 years, and if you still can pick up like you never left off, then that's, that's good. No, no. The most likely relationships for you to have bitterness is the people who are closest to you. I don't counsel anymore, but I counsel probably thousands of hours, and I've counseled a lot of bitter people, and here's what I've discovered. When people are bitter, they're reluctant to let go of the bitterness because I think here is the feeling. The feeling is if I let go of the bitterness, then I'll be completely vulnerable. But whatever made us think that bitterness was a legitimate defense or an adequate defense? See, bitterness is not a defense. See, therein lies the deception. Bitterness is not a real defense against injustice. I mean, think about this. Work with me for a moment. We've all experienced bitterness in our lives. Isn't it true that we can get bitter at somebody who doesn't even know that we're upset? We can't sleep. They're sleeping just fine. 
I was in college. I remember one of my professors taught me this. He said, bitterness is like an acid that does more damage to the container in which it's stored than on the object on which it's poured. That's good. But the Bible says it best. And for all of us who deal with bitterness, maybe in the throes of it right now, you really do need to hear this verse. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15 says, watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. Let's slow down for a moment. What does that word trouble mean? Oh, this is beautiful. Trouble means to crowd in. If I let bitterness, oh, this is, this is worth driving as far as some of you had to drive to be here today. If I let bitterness in my life, it will begin to crowd out things. Some of you know what this is like. You've allowed bitterness to come in. You don't enjoy the things you used to enjoy. You've got hobbies you don't do anymore because you know what? That bitterness is sapping up all your bandwidth. And, and it'll start crowding in. You ever see the shows about the hoarders? I mean, people that live in huge homes and they let all this junk in and before long they're like living in a tiny corner. That is what bitterness will do in our lives. It will crowd us in. So the Bible says, if I allow bitterness in my life, it will trouble me. But this next thing for all of us who are parents and married, we really need to see this. The Bible says it will corrupt many. In other words, it will stain. That's what the word means. It will stain those around us. How many of us know kids of bitter people? They had a bitter mother, a bitter dad, and now they've been stained. Hey, that might be somebody here. And you're like, Mark, I'm not, I'm not by nature a bitter person, but I grew up with a bitter mother. And you know what? Some of what she, some of those attitude seeds that she planted, they've stained me. They've stained me. Do you see why the word of God is telling us we got to get rid of that before we start planting kindness and compassion? Now, there's some others here, and I don't have time to go to them uh, too much. We'll maybe look at them someday. Get rid of all bitterness, rage. That means explosive anger. Somebody could say, I'm not an angry person. Wait for the next one. Anger there means smoldering anger. I don't blow up, I just hold it. I'm like somebody who's packing heat. You can't see the gun, but they're packing. <laughs> I like this next one, brawling. <laughs> brawling in the Greek there means to shriek like a raven. Do you, know, do you know people who scream? Scream at husband, scream at wife. Scream at their kids. I mean, I'm amazed that there are Christ followers who will scream at their kids, shrieking like a raven, the Bible says. I, I even hear that there are some Christians who drop the F-bomb. I mean, I, I mean, Jesus, hey guys, I, I know we picked that junk up from the movies and stuff, but I'll tell you what Jesus said about that. He said, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. If you're out there dropping the F-bomb, you got a heart problem. And worse than that, I hear there are husbands and wives who do that with each other and parents who do that with their kids. Well, that's seed. And baby, it will come up. It will come up. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, insults. Good morning, social media. With every form of malice, that's just a catch-all term for bad behavior. So God is like, before, before I can start dropping the Jesus seeds, there's some junk that's got to go because here's the deal. And this is, we're going to get to kindness in just a second. Let me just go somewhere for the, with, with this for a moment. If I'm a bitter person and I speak kindly to someone, I'm faking the kindness. Because real kindness can't be there. 
I gotta get rid of bitterness and all this anger that I'm storing up if I'm gonna be kind. Okay, Jesus sees one and two. Let's talk about kindness. Here's the text. Be kind and compassionate to each other. Kindness. Now, I know you know what kindness means, but let's explore the Bible word. You know the Bible's written in Greek, so Greek's sometimes way more definitive than English. The word for kindness there means to touch softly. To touch softly. Guys, it's Father's Day, and I don't want to get in your chili on Father's Day, but men, do you have the soft touch? Do you have the soft touch when you talk to your wife? Kindness here means to touch softly, the tender touch. Another word that we draw from this word in definition is the word easy. See, if I'm going to be kind, New Spring, I got to ask the question, am I easy to get along with? Hey, I just told you, I'm the most intense human you've ever met in your life. You probably can tell that from my preaching. There are no pastels in my personality. Just bright colors. But I have to ask myself, am I easy? Am I easy to be around? I, I know there are some people who say, well, I'm just difficult to get along with because that's my personality. I just tell it like it is. No, you're unkind. <laughs> I mean, I've, I've even, you talk about being certifi certifiably on the other side of the insane marker. I've actually had people, Christians tell me, you know, I just say whatever's on my mind. I'm honest. No, you're not honest. You're ridiculous. I mean, how many of us, if we said what was on our mind 30 minutes later, we wouldn't be thinking that anymore. Our minds would have changed. We would have calmed down. That's not honesty. It's just lack of discipline. No, no. I said this was the Jesus seed. Didn't Jesus have a tender touch? Didn't? Children. Disciples wanted to shoo them away. Moms and dads brought kids, set them in Jesus' lap, and he blessed them. And I love what one of the synoptic gospels adds. The parents asked him to pray for their children. Can you imagine what it must have been like to put your little one in Jesus' lap and hear Jesus bless and pray over your child? See, some of us need to do that with our kids today by faith. I mean, we got some kids that we need to put up in the lap of the Lord and say, Lord, would you bless them and would you pray for them? Some of us have teenagers today that we need to by faith put in the lap of the Lord and say, Lord, would you bless my teenager and pray for him? Some of us have grown kids that we need to put in the Lord's lap. Jesus had the tender touch when he healed people. The Samaritan woman, I'm preaching in Mexico, I think next week, I think I'm gonna have to preach on the Samaritan woman. Five marriages, living out of wedlock. Everybody else had given up on her. What did Jesus say? He said, I could give you a life. The tender touch. Even with the thief on the cross, who by his own admission deserved to die, Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. As someone has said, when Jesus walked into heaven after his death, he walked in with his arms around a safe thief. Tender touch. And I really do think all of us need to ask this question today because in our culture, you know, the more you rant, the more attention you get. I do think we have to ask ourselves, am I an easy person to get along with? Or am I prickly? Am I difficult? Folks, this is a seed. It has a huge harvest. This is one of the easiest seeds that you'll ever plant. And always remember, it takes no more energy to be kind than it does to be angry or mean. It takes a lot less energy. And the harvest is great. Got to move on. Jesus seed number two, compassion. Now, the word compassion here is not easy to put into 
English. Let me see if I can try. Did you ever say this expression, my heart went out to her, my heart went out to him? That's exactly what this means. It means the emotions that we have inside, the empathy and the sympathy, it's not a surface empathy or sympathy, but it comes from somewhere deep inside. Now, I'm having a hard time explaining it, so just let me read you a story about compassion in the Bible. Jesus said a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Audience instantly knew it's not something you should do. I mean, if you've ever been to Israel, you know that it's like going from a very, very high place to a very, very low place. And so it's almost straight down. It's curves, but it's, it's straight down. Where he fell in the hands of robbers, duh, happened. Robbers were notorious on this road, thieves, sexual assault. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. When he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, we're now going to slow down, and we're going to pay attention to some phrases. Came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity. Now, that's the same Greek word for compassion. He went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring in oil and wine. Then the man put, on his, put, him, put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins, gave them to the innkeeper. Look, he said, when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense that you may have. Now, in the speed in which we're gonna finish this message, I wanna show you four things compassion does. And I gotta tell you, this really does convict me. So... I'm not an expert. I'm in the same classroom with you. Notice the first thing he did. He came where he was. Now, I'm cognizant of the fact that we're talking about this geographically here, but I want to talk about it emotionally. If you and I are going to be compassionate, we have to go where people are. And we need to see what they're feeling, not through our eyes, but through their eyes. Husbands, how good are you at going where your wife is? I'm not talking about the part of the house she's in. I'm talking about where she is emotionally. Well, I just think if she would do this, 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 and this, guys are fixers. No, 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 I didn't ask that. See, the first step of compassion is going where they are. Parents, hey, we need to have rules, we need to have guidelines, and we need to enforce them. But when was the last time we went to where our 14-year-old was and remember what it was like to be 14 years old and recognizing the fact that our 14-year-old had a much more difficult time than we had? I mean, sure, I mean, I believe in discipline, I believe in structure, I believe in rules, but when was the last time we went where our kids were? You and I are ready for that story to get the order different than the Bible has it. Because the next thing the Bible says is he saw him. See, we, we, we want the story to say he saw the man who was hurt and then he came where he was. No, no. See, that's the thing. We can't see, we can't see somebody unless we go where they are. So many times we want to see people from the distance. But husbands, you cannot see your wife until you go where she is. Wives, you cannot see your husband unless you go where he is. Parents, you can't see your kids until you go where they are. Kids, and I know everybody, most kids are in the kids' world, but kids, you can't see your parents until you go where they are. 
The third thing that compassion did was it, it met all the possible needs. He couldn't meet all the needs. He couldn't make the man unhurt, but he could meet the needs that he could. And then the fourth thing was to the extent that he could, he accepted responsibility. Now I'm gonna go someplace surprising with this. Hey, I've heard hundreds of sermons probably on the Good Samaritan. I've preached a ton of them. You know what we normally hear when we look into the story? We think about it in terms of strangers. This man's walking down the path, sees somebody, doesn't know him, hurt, lying, he moves to where he is. Great, 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 great. But see, the thing is, the person on your road that's bruised, broken, and bleeding may very well be the person who's sitting next to you right now. Husbands, some of you have a wife that life and stress and difficulty have accosted her on the road and beaten her and left her emotionally bloody. Hey, it's a good thing to help a stranger. But what if the person who's broken and bleeding on your road is the lady who's sitting next to you right now? Wives, how do you know that that person who's hurting beside the road and wounded is not your husband? And he doesn't talk about it because men don't talk. And you're like, well, you know what? He'll take care of that. How do you know that the person who's in your life that's broken and wounded by the side of the road, how do you know that it's not your husband? Parents, we don't know what goes on in our kid's life all day. I mean, Oh, it's sure, it's good to help somebody if you see them by the side of the road, but how do you know that that person in your life that's not bruised and broken and bleeding is not your teenager? And you need to go where he is and see him. You can't meet every need, but meet the needs that you can. And take responsibility. That's what Jesus did. And we're God's daughters and God's sons. And it's what we do. It's what we do. Would you bow your head with me, please? First of all, I want to pray for all of us who've heard this message, who already have Jesus in our lives. Father, would you help us? Give us the power. Oh, God, we can't do this by ourselves. You want to get into our lives, Lord. We pray, we open the door today. Come in, God, help us to get rid of bitterness and wrath and anger and rage and shrieking and all those things so that we can be kind and compassionate. Help us, I pray, oh, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name, amen. Pray with me one more time. You could be here today and you say, Mark, I'm not sure I have God in my life. I may have had religion, but I just, I don't know that I have this power in me that you talked about. It's a gift, Jesus died on the cross to pay for all that darkness that we can put aside. All our sins were laid on him. And he lived a perfect life and he wants to offer us that perfect record. 
What Jesus did on the cross was to pay for your relationship with God so that God could move into your life. And you know, because it's a gift, all you have to do is to believe and say yes. I mean, I believe Jesus died for me. I believe he arose from the grave. I believe he's alive. And I want Jesus to save me. And I want the Holy Spirit to come in. Someone can say, well, Mark, how do, I, how do I get that? Okay, I'm gonna lead you in a prayer right now that ask God. And these aren't magic words, but if you pray these from your heart, then God will hear your prayer. And so here's what I'm gonna ask you to do. Just, you don't have to pray out loud. I'm gonna pray this prayer in segments and I'll stop after each segment so you can decide if you wanna say this to God. Okay, here we go. Dear God, I am a sinner. I'm broken. I can't fix myself. But your word says you love me very much. Your word says Jesus died to pay for my sins. Your word says Jesus rose from the grave. I believe that by faith. And since Jesus is alive, I want him to be my savior and my king. Give me the strength to live for you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you prayed from your heart, there's a God Almighty on the other side of that prayer who will answer your prayer. <laughs> and you just made the biggest decision of your life. So we wanna, we wanna come alongside and help. We have a gift for you. And this is, if you're watching online, all you need to do, in fact, if you want this gift, take out your smartphone if you have one, just text the word PRAYED, P-R-A-Y-E-D, to 97,000. If you're here on campus, you can pick this up today. Now, let me show you what's in here. There's a new spring Bible, just like I preach. I'm gonna hold it right side up. There's a book I wrote called My New Walk with God because you say, Mark, I just pray, but I got a bunch of questions. I'm gonna answer most of them in this book. There's a cool journal where you can make some notes. There's some coupon for the coffee shop. This is free, no hassle, no agenda. We just wanna take your first steps. If you just pray with me to receive Christ, if you're watching online, follow the steps after you text pray to 97,000. If you're here on campus, just go to any of the info centers. You'll tell them by this color and just say, I pray with Mark. They won't hassle you, stalk you, ask for your routing number or anything like that. They just want to give it to you. Thanks for being here. We'll see you next week. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in Wichita, the surrounding area, we'd love for you to engage with us in one of our weekend services. For directions, service times, and information about our incredible kids and student environments, visit us at newspring.org. One more time, newspring.org.